This week's episode is brought to you by the Talk Buster podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce of their time working for Blockbuster. Now, even if you've never worked for a Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find the stories both hilarious and relatable. One of my personal favorite stories was when he had a guest retelling his time of working at a porn shop the day before Christmas when they were just packed to the gills. So, listen to the Talk Buster podcast on all your favorite platforms today. Welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? It is okay. <laughs> um, I, I actually went to uh, the Warhammer store in my hometown. It's open now. Uh, but still, with all this stuff, I wasn't allowed to like actually walk around the store. I had to just go into this the front area and then tell the guy what to bring to me. Which was kind of weird because you know I didn't I didn't know what I wanted I wanted to see what they had but I talked with them for a while yeah. and that was cool. It's never as much fun just to say hey I want this you kind of want to stumble upon something. And then even have the thing that I mo- I mostly wanted to get a squad of sisters uh, sisters battle but you didn't have that so anyway how well, how are you doing? Considering the state of the world I'm pretty good. All right well then why don't we just move on to the patron sound up. Yeah, let's roll on into the people that give us money so that we can afford to do this week to week. They are Pam Gelly, Marky, Chris Chipman, River Gelly, Krug, Reed D, Arthur Crane, Kevin Bay, Brendan Agnew, and John Vinyls. Vinyls? Again, John, if you're listening, leave us a comment so we know how to pronounce your name. Now, if you'd like to join this illustrious legion and donate to our shenanigans just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields for only 25 cents an episode you get access to all sorts of great bonus content like our book club movie watch alongs and best of all you get this a whole three days early i don't know how early it's it's early anyways <laughs> added benefit if you give us a dollar you might get to come on like our today's guest brendan agnew how's it going good Right on, right on. Yeah, uh, I uh, really, really jazzed to talk about this particular subject. It's a very exciting, uh, very exciting <laughs> pillar of geekdom for me. All right, Axel, can you summarize what a pillar of geekdom is in thirty seconds or less? No, I can't, but I'll explain anyway. So, a pillar of geekdom comes from an idea that I that I had a while back, which is this idea that your your fandom, your geekdom, is a house. Uh, originally, this came the idea, or a building of some sort. And originally, this was built from the idea of a, a foundational geekdom, things you got into when you were really young that everything builds on top of. Uh, like, you can usually trace a line back to things you got were into when you were very young. But a pillar is something that you are currently into, that you're, that uh, a, a portion, or a large portion at least, of your geekdom is kind of centered around, or it builds out from. It can be foundational, doesn't have to be, but it's just something that is very vital to you and your fandom your your being a fan of things does that make sense it makes sense to me <laughs> all we right can't well, really then... uh comment you know live we don't have that feature yet podcasts <laughs> we're in the past well anyway brennan why don't you tell us what pillar of yours are we talking about today well, if we're if we're talking construction metaphors, this would definitely be like one of those rooms that you completely remodel or an addition to your home once you have like 
sort of grown up money and are able to make changes to your living space. So this is something that I came to sort of late compared to when a lot of people really connected with it. We're we're going to dive into Avatar The Last Airbender. I mean, that's an excellent show. I, I will say right up front, Avatar The Last Airbender is one of those things that I, I've had conversations with this recently. Avatar feels like regardless of how you feel about it, you have to respect that it really like change the game i think Ulrich, you and i had a video recently where we were talking about the state of adult animation where we were talking about how like avatar was was like a sopranos level things are different now post the show <laughs> right yeah well it really it did a lot of crazy stuff like it took its audience seriously it played with some really crazy concepts it didn't talk down to its audience it kind of borrowed a lot from eastern animation well then, I'd say why don't we why don't we get right into the the meat of this, which usually the beginning of these conversations is very simply, how did you, Brendan, get into this particular thing? You said you came into it a little later than other people, so it sounds like there might be a little bit of story there. Yeah, fairly. The first exposure that I had to this show was kind of catching bits and pieces of it every now and then on Nickelodeon, because by the time it was airing, I wasn't watching a a whole bunch of of television that that was around the time when I was, uh, you know, I'd graduated from high school and I was uh, in and out of college and jobs and just various like transitioning into adulthood things. But there were several of my friends who were just a few years younger than me. that were like, this is the best show you have to watch this. It's amazing. <laughs> and so which um, fair point. Uh, let me uh, just consult my notes here. Avatar is. Um, uh, yeah, no, it is the best show. OK, so that checked out. Um, <laughs> But the the fun thing is looking at where we are exactly right now. Um, uh, full transparency, we're recording just a little bit after this uh, show made its way onto Netflix. And when it landed on Netflix, it was like, well, this is the number one training show in the country. And so I guess I guess a couple other people like it. But I mm. first started watching it when it went to Netflix like the first time, like 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Yeah, I, it, was, it was a while ago. I remember back when uh, Netflix still mailed out DVDs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so that was that was when I first really, really dove into this as a thing and just sort of going through this as an adult in an apartment going like, man, this is the kind of thing that I really wish I'd had as a kid growing up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I it was out. It was uh, airing on television when I was in late high school, and I was I, I was spending a lot of time with my girlfriend at the time, like watching her young cousins, and they'd always want to watch Nickelodeon. A lot of times it was SpongeBob, which gave me a unnatural distaste for SpongeBob that has nothing to do with the show's quality. But a lot of times uh, Avatar would be on, so I saw it in a weird disjointed order then. But about the time I think you're talking about when it came on Netflix, I happened to be living with a few people including someone who had never watched it and we watched the whole thing through the first time i watched it in like sequence so that's when i i came to quote unquote understand it better which sounds like roughly the same time you you did so more or less so although I, weirdly enough it was like a okay we went through the whole first season and then we just stopped watching because we got distracted by life and then it left netflix and i was like oh okay what am i gonna do and then back in like 2017 you know Many, many years later, we finally picked back up and was like, oh, okay, we should we should watch the other two seasons. That first one was good. Let's see how this turns out. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I will say, and only because I, I mentioned this to someone recently, the only show I could think of that was doing something 
similar, not the same, but similar that existed beforehand was uh, was Samurai Jack and Ulrich and I are huge. Yeah, I was going to say. Jack. I was so. trying to think like, where is he going with this? Like, yeah, Samurai Jack. So it sounds like I'm the only one that watched this as it was released live. Well, I watched it as it was released live, but I just didn't see it like continuously because I. Well, oh, I, didn't I, have... I did. I was. I remember. I was. I that first season was real choppy. It kind of came and went. Thank the gods for TiVo. Those early, early days. That many of you don't remember what TiVo is. Yeah, I, dude, I didn't even have television in at that. I point. know. I, so <laughs> I'm just saying. So you know, fortunately, but then like second season, there. I don't remember. It was like I think it was a Friday night thing, and it was like okay, this. The, I got just Friday night. We're tuning in for the newest Avatar. Okay, well, so hold on. This is interesting. It's easy. It's easy to take this for granted. So I want to. I want to give the opportunity to do this for anyone out there listening who somehow doesn't know what Avatar Last Airbender is. I honestly don't know how that can exist, but just in case, Brandon, why don't you give us a, uh, an overview, a lowdown as you would. Okay. So, um, Avatar is basically the children's fantasy Kung Fu version of a, I, I don't want to say stereotype. So like very recognizably archetypal hero's journey, chosen one, um, big uh, quest narrative. You've got your your three main characters. One of them is the master of all the elements of bending, which is martial arts plus an element. Uh, most people can only do one element. The avatar can do all of them, and he's basically the you know the, the peacekeeper uh, of this particular world. Uh, the Fire Nation decides to do a fascism, and <laughs> fast forward a hundred years later. Uh, the Avatar, having been frozen in ice, gets revived, and it's it's a bunch of kids. Like, they're, they're these, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old group of kids who are having to go out, um, you know, the Avatar has to train and master all the elements. They have to fight the Fire Nation. Um, it's it's very easy to, to sort of dismiss its basic plot as very rote, because, I, I mean, this is like as Joseph Campbell as it gets, but so much of this just breathes by first off the fact that all the characters are really well drawn and hilarious. Like everyone's really goddamn funny. Um, Yeah. You know, it's always about how you use your tool. For example, me personally, I genuinely and generally hate chosen one narratives, mostly because I see them applied to things that shouldn't have them like Uh, (laughs) Spider-Man. So, but in this example, where Avatar is built from the ground up to be not just a chosen one narrative, but to be an exploration of how a child grapples with being the center of a chosen one narrative, it works. It's all about how you use your tool. <laughs> and There's so a much lot of, of good stuff to be said about Avatar. There is, and, and so much of what, to, to, you know, carry what you were saying about how you're using the tools, this, this show is beautifully functional just in terms of how it uses pieces of just basic storytelling foundation in very very satisfying ways it's extremely good at setting up and maintaining character motivations and stakes it's great at having characters bounce between their wants and their needs it'll show you very clear character arcs but it'll also have them fuck up in excruciatingly frustrating ways damn it Zuko. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> As a side note, I just thought, I don't know why I've never thought this before, and I'm sure it's obvious to anyone else, but is it weird this was coming out at the same time as the oddly similar yet very inferior 
though not bad, I would say Shaolin Showdown. I had forgotten about that completely. Yeah, I haven't thought about that since you just mentioned it. Well, I was only the only reason I thought of it is because one of the things that that I thought about Avatar is really interesting is that I I always loved how each of the four nations, the elemental nations, were based on a different cultural subset, like how the Fire Nation is very obviously Japan, the Earth Nation is China, the Water Nation are uh, I don't know what the correct term like Inuit, Inuit. yeah Inuit people or first and, people. Yeah, first people, thank you. And the uh, air nomads are basically Tibetan, Tibetan monks. And then I was thinking, like, huh, elemental control with different actual cultures being represented and uh, a predominance of martial arts. That's all true of Shaolin Showdown as well, which is just a weird kind of line to draw in my head. So I kind of assumed you were, like, the when you started that, I thought you were going with Harry Potter because, like, Oh, three best friends. One of them has a marking on his forehead. There's four different castes that people generally fall into, and they're of the same general age. Because, yeah, this this was going like during the books and the movies. They were all kind of running concurrently for a few years there. I feel like the Harry Potter thing, though, that similarity comes a lot more from a like basic uh, story structure kind of thing. The same way that they have a lot of similarities to uh, Star Wars, for instance. This goes back to the, the Joseph Campbell thing. The Shadow Showdown thing was like, that's just more like weird uh, aesthetic choices that happen to be like the exact same aesthetic choices, which is why it's just kind of weird to me. Because it makes sense when you have story structures that are the same among very good things. Like people who tell me that Harry Potter is just Star Wars again, like it's some sort of criticism, get slapped. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Wait till you find out where Star Wars came from, Bucko. <laughs> exactly. So I just, I, I don't know. Again, it's not important for this conversation, but it's just like, it just suddenly popped in my head. And I was like, that's a, a weird thing. So anyway. <laughs> I would be willing to wager that there is, I, I feel like this period of animation was incredibly fertile for how it was going to affect the medium going forward years later. Because like you said, this is happening around the same time as Samurai Jack. It's also when Bruce Timm and company sort of revitalized their superhero cartoons with the Justice League show that got extremely serialized and more mature-minded than you would assume a kid's cartoon show would get. And you you have all this stuff kind of like percolating through the, the late 90s and early aughts. And then fast forward, you know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years later, and you have like an entire new generation of people making animated shows that have clearly been affected by by this this kind of devotion to to quality storytelling and character work, in spite of the fact that it could be a disposable kids cartoon. Oh, there's like three things that I just don't want to say, basically. Yeah, that's so good. Sorry. Uh, first thing, it's very interesting that you point out that it the, the the kind of time period because in my in my brain i think about like example samurai jack i think ended i think about three or four years before avatar started i want to say so 2003 and avatar's like 2005 or six yeah so like there's there's definitely a gap there and because i was young enough at that point that the difference between you know, like middle school you, you and high school you feels like a huge thing. That feels like a huge gap. But I, when you said that, I made me realize that that probably wasn't as huge a gap as I'm, as I'm imagining it. You know, well, so, development time. Some of this stuff was percolating around the same time. These that's kind of why I bring it going. up. Because I'm, but I'm, it really is interesting to watch the delineation between the early '90s and kind of our Looney Tunes esque things with Ed, Ed, Nettie, Dexter's Lab. Rock was modern life, that kind of stuff. 
I, the transition I think... to more serious, uh, serialized storytelling of the late aughts. I, I do think that Justice League Unlimited, which you mentioned, is probably a lot more influential than I'm giving it credit for. Because when I think about like that way, I think that was the first cartoon that I remember watching that did the uh, what I'm going to call the D Space Nine thing, where it's telling a a story generally in each episode while telling a serialized one across entire seasons. Like plenty of shows had done that. I mean, as I just gave an example, D Space Nine was doing it, but I, Justice League Unlimited was the first cartoon I remember seeing that and i if i think about it i think avatar might be the first cartoon i remember watching with a straight up serialized like story and yet Avatar does have episodic episodes but for the most part it's telling a fairly serial story it has a beginning middle and end like it knew where it's going where it's going from when they started like we're gonna do three books and this is where we're leading to the three act structure is so incredibly clear across those those three those three seasons and you know I, i'm sure there are a lot of things that they discovered along the way um but it it definitely feels like they at least thematically had an incredibly clear idea of what they want to do because but this in a weird way this this show is about generational failure and a new crop of people having to come in and clean up the mess that the adults just haven't been able to deal with for you know, however many years. So I'm going to ask you a very, very broad question and give you license to answer it as, as however you will. And as long as you want, which is very simply, why do you love this thing? Oh shit. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So there is nothing I love more than a story that is approachable from basically any age where if you're if you're at the point where you can understand basic narrative you can sort of understand a sequence of events and a character and the things that they go through but that also really digs deep into things to the point where not just like in the the shrek attitude of like hey we put a boner joke in the kids cartoon and the kids are the kids are aren't going to see it but the adults will the adults will see and that's that's funny but in the this is like emotionally enriching no matter what age you are and and avatar is like hey we're at this perfect cross point of kids will watch it for the fun fire kung fu and the flying animals and the the silly antics because ang likes to ride penguins but then adults will be like watching this thing about how we really have to get out of the way of these kids so they can save the world because we done fucked up hmm. uh, so that's pretty great um relevant and, and, <laughs> yeah, uh, especially since so much of the of my my current enthusiasm levels for this property have been significantly boosted because we just within the last couple of weeks finished showing the entire thing to my three year old daughter who hadn't like she's she's only had some very minor experience with like long running TV shows before and this was like her shit. Mm-hmm. So that's that's definitely part of it. Um, an- another thing that I feel is it's easy to talk about Avatar in terms of the the writing and the characters, but if you just look at the quality of the animation, especially the the level to which they get by the third book, uh, the the animation quality for both character expressions, being able to like just convey things visually, but also fucking whoop ass fight scenes. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, 
There so, are parts that I would just put like that I would put among like this is feature animation level, even though it's 12 frames per second as opposed to 24. Like it's just that good. Like the last Agni Kai is yeah, a, is a Pantheon <laughs> level fight scene for, for mm -hmm. anyone in animation, period. Uh, you know, that that's one of those things that that final <laughs> Zuko, for the record, is one of like my top 10 favorite fictional characters ever. Oh. Like I I love Zuko so much but i do have this this strong um side sidebar that i always am talking about when it comes to animation because I, I love animation i like animation more than live action like honestly uh and i but i feel like i get very disappointed when shows i feel don't take advantage of the strengths of being animated and that is not a complaint levied at avatar at all it is very much taking every advantage of being an animated show and the fact that it's like even the stuff that's grounded is like elevated in this very interesting way for how the characters move. And like, I love watching those behind the scenes with the, the martial arts guy they actually had to like do the, the, the motions for them. And not get me wrong, the older I've gotten, I've actually gotten into uh, studying combat sports and my opinion of Chinese martial arts has soured from a combat standpoint, but that doesn't change the fact that from a visual and a, like a discipline and a you know, form, form of the body standpoint, it is still amazing to see, you know? Well, let, let's stop and talk about that for a second. It's incredible to watch. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of like martial arts cinema. So this is, you know, again, this is like one of those perfect uh, wetting someone's taste for, hey, if you want to get into like some Crouching Tiger and some Shaw Brothers and some Jackie Chan later on, let's see how you do with this because this will like kind of like open up a bunch of doors for you. And then years later, you'll go back and go, oh, that's where they got some of that stuff. Exactly. Well, I thought it was they, they took the time to not only, you know, build one fighting style for an element, they took four different fighting styles and then, you know, wrapped it around this style elemental fighting and then copied those moves in animation. They really could have just, you know, gone, ah, he, he makes a fist and a rock flies, or he makes a different type of fist and flame comes. No, they picked four different styles. And like, okay, how do these relate to the elements we're, uh, we're uh, working with? They really well, did that extra thing they didn't have to. Yeah, no, studying, I mean, I actually, for a while in early college, I got really into Bagua Zong, and I didn't know that Bagua Zong was airbending. And then I found out afterwards, and I was like, oh, that's really cool, especially because Bagua Zong was invented by a Buddhist for, like, a completely defensive, uh, you know, moving past, like, and around, and, you know, very dodgy. And it's like, okay, so air, air is the kind of thing that, you know, flows and isn't constrained. And, and that same kind of principle of, like, philosophically tying the martial art in reality to the element it's being attached to with Hungar's earthbending, Tai Chi is waterbending, and Northern Shaolin Fist is firebending. Like, it's true for all of them when you study the actual martial art, and that's just that's just really cool, and it's a weird, like, entry it, point for people to learn martial arts, you know? And it also ties to the core philosophy associated with those elements, which is crazy. Like, the level of work that went into a cartoon that was on Nickelodeon is mind-blowing anyway i didn't mean to interrupt the why i love it but that was a yeah. quote, like ta tangent oh no that's that's like that that seems like a natural course for for everything um and and yeah like i i've i have only had very very minor experience in like martial arts myself like i took hungar kung fu when i was in middle school uh, so <laughs> exactly so seeing that goes like hey i used to do that 
And that was that was always kind of fun, <laughs> especially the most badass main character doing that one. <laughs> oh my, oh my God, Toph Bay Fong is the best. <laughs> yes, yes, she is, and I will hear no argument against that. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, again, great characters for a show that was on Nickelodeon, and I'm, I'm well, going to keep hammering that home because well, Nickelodeon had the opportunity to do a follow-up series with Legend of Korra and shot it in the foot. Um, That's all I'll say about that, because it's not what we're here to talk about. But let's I, say, I actually really like Legend of Korra, but it's so a very different kind of thing. But, but if you look at the behind-the-scenes stuff, Nickelodeon screwed them over from the start. It is a damn shame, yeah. And and I I, I love Korra. There, there are things that I like about Korra that I, I like more than Avatar, um, because it partially because it continues like the main thesis of man, the heroes of the past kind of, they, they were kind of fuck ups too. Like they weren't perfect. <laughs> like they fixed some stuff. Ooh, but some of the stuff they didn't fix. Um, but, like, but also like, a deadbeat dad. Well, well, you know, what's great. <laughs> you know, what's great si sidebar, like avatar and legend of Korra have this interesting through line thematic idea of that. The youth are like the saviors and that old people who, fuck shit up, need to get out of the way, right? With one giant, very important exception that I think is very intentional to this, which is Iroh, which mm -hmm. is this whole idea of like, yes, youth needs to youth needs to be the one to solve the problems, but you also have to be able to take the advice of those people who screwed up and, and apply it to yourself and use that as part of your fixing things job, you know? Yeah, Iroh's very much the, you know, we... We are here to like snip a couple things off the bonsai tree and then just let the thing grow and and hope that it it sorts our shit out. Um, but but yeah, like they they really did fuck with with core, which is a shame because they had some really potent stuff going on there and and especially with um, with with what we've seen people respond to with recent uh, kids facing animated shows that deal with with things like non non traditional gender roles or sexuality post traumatic stress sorry i'm, well, post, I'm a huge literally steven universe is my favorite show so <laughs> oh yeah sorry. oh yeah well and like look looking at where steven universe was able to go or or like things like uh the 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 recent shira which is just like no this is just lesbian love stories it's like where they they could they could hold hands like five years ago and that's that's as close as we could come it's and they it's had to do really it online. It didn't even get live broadcasted. Nope. And then, and, then was... people, and then people argued about whether or not that was actually what was going on in the end. So. Yeah, to the point that Cooter had to come out and go, guys, they're a gay couple. It's okay. And everyone, oh, rah, 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 rah. Here's well, a comic where they kiss. Shut up. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I'm talking about when I say that Avatar really is a before and after kind of thing. There's a before Avatar and after Avatar. And even though, like, we're talking about that, the, that Korra didn't even get to do the thing and it had to wait for something like She-Ra to do it and, and Harley Quinn, but that's a whole other story. Like, Avatar's what laid all that groundwork, what made that kind of evolution, I think, not just possible or probable, but inevitable. And I'd also argue, and Brennan, you can weigh in on this one, that Avatar, in its success, proved that kids can handle dark stories, complex stories, and can they, basically they can... They can absorb a lot more than they gave credit for because Avatar does complex Eastern philosophies. It has incredibly dark moments. It has some real heartbreaking moments. It, it really runs the gambit and kids are like, yeah, we love this. So it proves that like, hey, you don't have to do SpongeBob over and over again. 
I mean, well, they actually, didn't necessarily listen, but <laughs> well, well, actually, I would, um, I would not just agree, but I would like, I, I would back that up to the extent of, I, I'm an, I, I'm a preschool teacher, um, so like my job is to deal with kids who are about to go into pre-kindergarten and deal with early childhood education, and like basically, not only is that absolutely correct that kids can handle things that are darker more complex than we would traditionally think it's necessary that they be allowed to experience those things in a safe way it's it's called scaffolding where a child mm. would not be able to accomplish a task or deal with a thing on their own but with assistance from someone who is uh, either a peer or just basically giving someone a little boost. It's like, okay, you can reach this. And what Avatar does is by crafting a narrative that's very bright, colorful, fun, approachable, very silly in places, it scaffolds its audience to the dark points that it needs to get to so that when you have a character betray someone or lose someone or possibly die, I don't know. It's really unclear. Um, <laughs> Like the kids are able to handle that. By the time they reach that, they've the show has brought them up to that level so that they can handle this kind of emotional story. Yeah, because uh, recently I just started watching on Netflix with my daughter, and we just got to the end of book two. And we're not going to be we're gonna try and tip around spoilers as much as possible. We finished that. I I was I remember the first time I watched it, and I remember again watching it here. Like that is an incredibly dark season ender for a kid show. Like, this is all hope is lost, Empire Strikes Back ending. 100%. Possibly even worse than Empire Strikes Back, because our, our Luke Skywalker stand-in isn't even conscious. He's probably alive. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know it is, because, like, uh, it's, they're not going to kill their oh, main yeah. character. But still. And I gotta, well, okay, I, hold I on. As a kid, wait, wait, wait. Kids are right, not going to know that. Yeah, but even as an adult, there's this concept. I, I There's a term for this. I forgot what it is, where... If a show or a movie or a story is done well enough or done in the right way, then your extra extra story knowledge is in your knowledge outside of the story, such as the knowledge that this is a show that is going to continue, this is a protagonist, thus from a story-making perspective it doesn't make sense to kill him, that will get suppressed. And this yeah. isn't just like a this isn't just a, um, a suspension of disbelief. There's a special term for this, but I can't think of what it is, so... And I think Avatar hits it very well, so that when you're in that moment, you're not thinking, well, there's no way Aang's going to die because he's Aang. You're you're thinking, whoa, you know? <laughs> that just happened, followed up by, how do you fix... Yeah, especially because the emotional fallout is is the big thing. I mean, it's, it's bad that the plot stuff that happened, you know, again, not to get too specific, it's bad that those bad plot things happened, but the the emotional toll that it takes on these characters like oh no we just got stabbed in the back and then we were just so close to this thing and had it snatched away from us and now we've also been been locked out of this this other experience because of the the whole thing with the way ang's powers work for for all of season three it's it is a big emotional roller coaster to to end a a season on and i i would I would posit that like season two, you know, both seasons two and three of Avatar, like Avatar season one takes about like five or six, maybe there's, there's 10 episodes misses. to find its footing. Yeah. yeah. 
And by the time you get to the storm, they've really locked their shit down. Oh, yeah. I think this episode six, I think, five or six. I was recently watching a video talking about why the storm is the the point. Funny enough, because it follows what is universally agreed to be the worst episode of Avatar. Yeah, yeah, there there is some unfortunate stuff. I mean, I never by the way watching it, but sidebar. I, I only just realized like two days ago that uh, Grey Delisle, the voice of Azula, is one of my favorite voice actresses. I didn't know her name until I was reading about Scoob and the unfortunate stuff that happened with Scoob. And I was like, whoa, she's the voice of Daphne and Azula and Jacqueline Thomas and like 800 other characters I love. So, sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Well, no, we can, well, the voice cast for this show is incredible. Oh, Again, you know, they, they really went out of their way. They got a bunch of really talented voice actors and just let them go. And they even have, like, some really gonzo picks for, like, the the recurring or, or, or just one-off guest stars. Like, James Hong is in this show for, like, <laughs> one episode. Lopan shows up and is just, like, mad at the Avatar. <laughs> And, but then you'll also have things like, you know, Robert Patrick having a, a recurring guest spot or, I mean, uh, we, we've already talked about Iroh, who is who is the best, except for Toph, who is also the best. But Iroh is the best adult. And Mako is, even though he wasn't able to finish the third season for obvious tragic reasons, yeah. Mako is like so much, again, like you said, going back and rewatching this, it's like, wow, his performance in this character specifically is one of the things that makes the show work. Because without Iroh, you never believe that Zuko could be anything other than a piece of shit. Well, there's, yeah. there's, there's a reason why uh, Mako is held in such high regard. Oddly enough, I just there's another connection with Samurai Jack. Especially weird considering that those two characters are about as opposite of each other as you can, <laughs> you can do. So, the talented guy, certainly. Well, the crazy thing... Like, is we all... Then everyone knows Letters of Bossing say with that really heartbreaking episode uh short about him and then with you get the layers of context they get on like that was his last episode like oh that's sad the song he sings was actually him singing it you know as he was going through chemo and he was like oh that's even worse the picture of his son that was the picture of mock was like oh no yeah this this hammer blow it's like all these things i didn't know before the internet on a uh on, on a less depressing note <laughs> I was super happy when I heard that Mark Hamill voiced the Fire Lord, but that's because Mark Hamill's like the, he my favorite. He pops up all over that series. He pops and, up all over every animated series. He's everywhere, well, the, man. Yeah, well, the crazy thing is, it's like, you know, we're watching it, and I'll turn this back like, you know who that is? And she's like, no, like, that's Mark Hamill. Like, how do you know? Like, because once you learn to key in on his vo- certain voice pitches, you know it's him, or it's a bad guy. And if it's a bad guy, it's probably Mark Hamill. Also, like, like, if it even, sounds like Tim Curry, it probably is Tim Curry. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Even with the best voice actors, when you start picking out their, because I consider Mark Hamill like top tier voice actor easily, but I can pick him out pretty easily. But the same is true for a lot of my favorite voice actors, people like you know Christopher Sabat or Great Delisle, where it's like, all right, I can I can pick up on you know or or uh, Rob Robert Paulson is one of my absolute favorites. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, same kind of principles going on here. Lancey Brown's in here just being a great bad guy. He's basically Lex Luthor again. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, this is the show that teaches kids what a coup is. I also recently watched, uh, I, I watched a live action thing of uh, Clancy Brown doing the Mr. Krabs voice, and I, it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. It's hilarious, though. <laughs> yeah, no, it does teach kids what a coup is. It also teaches kids to say, fuck the police, because the diet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
no, again, this is such a great show. Can can we talk about for a second too how so you mentioned early on this is very much like a hero's journey thing going on, but what's great about it is it's not one hero's journey, it's like four of them all happening simultaneously. Yes, the Ang one's obvious, but Sokka's is actually very well done and and very like parallel. Yeah, and then of course the obvious one is Zuko, who is paralleling Aang in many ways. The reason why one of the reasons why the storm is so good an episode is because it's literally the hey for the last like five episodes Zuko's just been the villain. We've made a few odd comments about he's got more going on, but here's where we're going to show you not just Aang's backstory, but Zuko's backstory and how they are weirdly parallel, but they came to these separate places. It's like that's a very complicated idea to put into twenty minutes, you know. Exactly. And and not only that, uh, I, like I would argue that Sokka is like a better version of Xander from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Definitely. He's like the yeah. he's like the perfect, you know, this is the normal guy. But in spite of him initially seeming like a clown, he grows into a genuine hero. Like he even forges a fucking sword out of a meteor. I, I love how they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll say in that, that are... <laughs> in that same vein. I've always considered Zuko how you do Sasuke correctly. <laughs> yes. Well, and with and with Zuko, you've got this great redemption arc. Or or even if you look like Katara, who is arguably the strongest bender in the entire show. She's the one who takes down Azula. Um, she's got like the the very fun twist they do on waterbending in the third season. Oh god. <laughs> and when you consider that waterbending is already pretty overpowered considering that 70% of the world is covered in it. That's and and she's like, you know, I am the last waterbender of the Northern Water Tribe and then she goes on this big like you said, it, it is like multiple heroes journey. So it's not like just one chosen one because yeah, Aang's like the avatar, but all of these people are so integral that it's like, no, it's the just the the chosen generation, really. I want to say with Katara specifically, I find it really, really fascinating that the, I don't know what the right term is, not peak, but the, like, where she truly ascends, in my, in my estimations, to hero-dom is not even fighting a bad guy, just fighting that South uh, Tribe patriarch dude. It's where mm. she's like, I am on equal footing with you and I will make you respect me. And and like the level of power she illustrates there, that whole sequence is one of the most well done things and considering it's happening so early on in the story, it's actually very surprising to me. But anyway, just, I just want to point out that that's like one of my, probably like my third favorite scene in the entire series. I think it deserves a lot of respect. So I also think we just touched on something else really interesting. As we talked about, this does take a lot of samplings from anime but one thing I would argue that Avatar does better than almost any anime I've seen, and granted I haven't seen a lot, but I know the big ones, power escalation. It is clearly defined, and you watch season to season as they get more powerful and they get more creative with those powers. It's not just, okay, speed up the frame. Okay, speed up the frame again. Okay, speed up the frame one more time, add some colors. I, I will say, uh, again, this is, comes from being an anime, more of an anime person than you, uh, Power scaling and power systems are a super interesting shonen concept, and the shows that do it well are, like, they stand out a lot more. Like, I've always said that I think Hunter x Hunter is one of the best uh, power scaling and, and magic systems in any show, period. And while I do agree with you that Avatar is, like, really high up there, I just want to make a point that I know the ones you're thinking about, and it's just too bad that you don't have a wider breadth of experience, you know? <laughs> like for example one thing that um 
Avatar kind of does early on. There's an a, a, a interesting trick to play in, in most anime is to establish a power ceiling, which is early on in the show, you show here's what like the best person can do, and now the person that you're following is working up to that. With, with Avatar, it's probably it's like the first time they show the Avatar state, and even that's you know it's, it's late into the, uh, the first book, but that's our establishing our power ceiling. It's like, okay, this is how strong Aang can get eventually, and now we're building to that. Yeah, yeah and I, then you got the whole uh, warrior, Kyo, uh, the Avatar Kyoshi that just severs a continent. Exactly. The point is showing us what we're building to as opposed to just having a open... It's, that's just one trick, but it's an interesting trick because, like, My Hero Academia did that really well, and I always like using it as an example. But just that idea of bar of taking those kind of tricks, figuring out what works, establishing a very good system like that is impressive, you know? And they, they do that partially by introducing you to, like, a wider and wider cast of characters and showing them in different in different settings where they'll need to use different types of abilities. So you'll see like Boomy, who is an incredibly powerful earthbender. You meet him pretty early on, but by the time you meet Toph and not only is she extremely powerful, she's also very creative. And so she'll like, she invents something that just did not exist before. I I love that Toph's character arc is I'm the best. Yes, you are. I'm going to get even more the best. (laughs) By the way, uh, I, again, uh, I I don't know how much you know this, Brendan. I, I'm sure that uh, Auric, this is more news to you. But so th- this concept that you just talked about, this idea of using your powers creatively, is uh, there's a very fine delimination in anime specifically when it comes to how shonen combat is done. Because the shonen genre, and I'm using this specifically because Avatar is mostly pulling from that. That actually does pull some from shojo too, but that's another thing entirely. Um, Basically begins with uh, a Kenshiro, a Fist of the North Star. And at that point, fights were just brutal, simple, I have more power than you. The classic obvious one is Dragon Ball Z, which has literally a power level. And if my number is higher than your number, I'm going to win. Simple kind of thing. And then JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Season 3 happened, or Series 3. And that was the one that basically completely flipped the script on it was one of, it was like the first prominent example of flipping the script where suddenly every match becomes a chess match where it's not i have more power than you it's i'm using my power in a more creative and more intelligent way than you that tricks you and i actually see that in shonen everywhere but avatar is making very good use of that concept where yes there are characters as we've established like i would argue that boomy has objectively more raw power than Toph, simply by breath of experience when he's like moving, you know, the, the houses and stuff. But because of Toph's like, you know, her senses and the the first fight we see her and she wins not by a extreme show of force, but by a a clever usage of her power to to make the boulder split. Right? It's like that's not that's not raw power. That's intelligence. And that's the kind of thing that separates like old school battle shows from new school battle shows it's the that being that much more connected and in tune to her element but she she uses it to see she's not just using it to manipulate her environment that's that's all of how she interacts with her environment and so it's just more of a part of her um or even just the way you look at how different characters will will play with things that relate to their personalities like when we meet azula 
and the things that Azula can do, that that feels like a bit of a sea change. It's like, oh wow, I didn't know that was even in the cards. Hmm. And, and then and then they do things like the uh, the aforementioned Katara upgrade to her powers, and and you just see like, okay, this is this is how these elements can be either tweaked or even possibly warped and arguably misused in ways that will completely alter our previous understanding of power ceilings and dynamics. Well, another reason why I think that the, the distinction between old school and new school battle shows is important is because we literally see it played out with Zuko. We kind of see it played out with Aang almost in reverse, which is kind of interesting because that's kind of the entire point of him learning earthbending is, hey man, you're really good at being tricksy and clever, but sometimes you gotta just bull rush through. And if you can't do that, then you're gonna fail. But Zuko's having the opposite kind of thing, where at the beginning, he's extremely straightforward. He's just, you know, fire punch and fire kick. And a big part of his process of learning through Iroh is that, like, hey, look at how other benders do things. Figure out kind of techniques based on that. Be a little more outside the box thinking and you know, that, that, I just think that's kind of cool that we see that kind of evolution within a single show, you know? Also fire pretty. <laughs> <laughs> fire pretty. Yes, very fire, very pretty. <laughs> All right, so before we move on to the last question, we're going to have to, I got a couple, we got to get out of the way in the comments. Uh, what is your element? Like, if you could bend an element, and quick thoughts on that movie. Brendan, you're the guest. Uh, I have not seen the movie because I value my time. Um, yes, like, everyone told me it was terrible. I saw a couple clips and I was like, wow, yeah, that looks awful. I just won't watch it. And uh, so those are my thoughts on the movie. Um, maybe someday we'll see something tackle it and, and do it good. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a shame. Um, but uh, hot take, I don't care if we ever get one because Avatar is kind of the perfect version of its own story. And it's it's not like when you have, you know, certain superhero comics are like, wow, I'd love to see that in live action. It's like, no, I saw that animated. It was perfect. I'm good. Ironically, um, that's exactly what my mother said when she heard they were making it, was, why? You're not going to get me better than they did there on the TV show. Exactly. Um, for Okay. For bending, I would love to fly. Um, I, I know, like, personality-wise, I am very very much an, an earthbender. Uh, I, am, I am very uh, sedentary. I'm... I'm a hobbit, uh, so yes, <laughs> I would be an earthbender and make a rock tent and then hang out with the badger moles. So right. to answer to answer your question, Ulrich, first of all, for bending, this is actually, I've, I've thought about this a lot because people keep asking me throughout the years, and I changed my answer a couple times because my personality has shifted as I've gotten older. I think I'm pretty solidly a waterbender. Uh, I think that it fits my personality a lot better. Also, uh, as a sidebar, I'm terrified of large bodies of water. So just the sheer idea of being able to control them makes me less terrified of it. So like if you I'm in the water- swamp bender? No. Uh, <laughs> now, as to the movie question, there's a, there's a couple things I wanna say about that. One is I have seen that movie and my big disappointment is that Dev Patel is working his ass off and actually doing a pretty good live action interpretation of Zuko. He gets a few scenes that come off really well, and it's literally the only good thing in that entire movie. Like, no one else is doing a good job, and it's so depressing that Dev Patel, who's actually a really good actor, who's putting in a pretty good performance, is stuck in this crap movie. So, there's my first thing about it. Secondly, I used to agree with that whole you don't need to make it because it already exists kind of thing, 
but I've you know in recent years I've kind of shifted because to me that's the kind of logic that I feel like art is something inherently that you should always be experimenting with. And the fact that the original thing will always still exist it doesn't make it so that or it literally makes it so that you should experiment and do other things. It doesn't hurt the original thing. That if we had that kind of logic, we'd never have anything beyond the original play of Hamlet and we'd never have things like The Lion King or West Side Story, which are regardless of what you feel about them, are very important and interesting takes on that same kind of material. Uh, so I think that yeah if you have people who care about it that that's the key thing here don't just be doing this for for money because it's a famous franchise but if you have artists who actually care about it and have an interesting take then i would love to see their takes on this kind of story because i feel like avatar is the kind of story that doesn't need to be limited to in any way that's my feeling on it that makes sense yeah. no I've, I've seen bits and pieces of the movie i it was just such a wasted potential. And I, I do agree with Axel. Like, I'm not opposed to them doing a live-action version. I mean, Netflix is apparently still working on it, and I'm curious to see what it is. So I, I'm going to remain optimistic because innovation is mostly good. I say mostly because, well, history has taught us not always. As for my element, I, I'm curious what the uh, listeners think my element is after, you know, two seasons. Of listening to me talk. I'm gonna tell you right now, Oric, I think you're an earthbender. Yeah, I know I know without a doubt what I am. I'm just curious what our listeners think. I can see firebending like being argued, but I feel like that's more how you might see yourself versus how you actually are. It's just my feelings on you, man. I'll let you know after the recording my thoughts. All right. So last question. It's a tuppy. What does Avatar say about you? What does this being a pillar of your fandom say about you as a person, Brendan? Uh, I'm really good at fucking up. Um, so <laughs> so I, I love that Avatar lets its characters fail, like, all the time. Like, these these guys, they are really good at losing, um, but they're also really good at bouncing back from it and learning from it. Uh, like, I'm, I am also very good at losing and, and learning from it. Uh, I, I feel like just as as a personal um just, just as like a personal thing like that's it's not an ideal way to go through life but it's very instructive and it's also kind of a realistic version of like how growing up is going to be like you're going to bounce around into people and you're going to make friends and sometimes you're going to piss them off and you're going to like go down the right track for going to suck and and sometimes you're just going to have to put in some some hard work and elbow grease to to make back some of the you know some of the road you've lost or friends you've alienated. Um, so that's that's part of it. Um, also, like I just really 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 love 2D animation. It's it's a huge like passion of of like like not that I'm good at drawing at all, but just I I love it as an art form and how how creative people can be with it, how adaptable it is, and how you can see something like Avatar, which takes the the aesthetics of anime and some of the surface-level cliches, but then marries it to a slightly different take on Western storytelling. Like, it's it's this very cool uh, transformative thing. Uh, it's it's not just a, a translation or a copy. Um, it's this really cool synthesis of ideas. So that's that's I guess the other thing that 
that avatar says about me. Also, I'm just incredibly goofy and silly, and that's what this show is. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that, that brings us to, I mean, if we have any concluding thoughts on Avatar specifically, now would be the time. But the only thing I, I want to say is that, so for me, Avatar is one of those things, I consider Avatar like like the Godfather or Citizen Kane in that I like it. I, I really do. I respect it more than I like it. I, I know that's, that's a weird thing because I do really like it, but I feel like it's more important that it exists than what I feel about it, if that makes any sense. So I think if for some reason you're listening to this and you haven't experienced the original three seasons of Avatar Last Airbender, you owe it to yourself as a consumer of popular culture to experience it no matter what you end up feeling about it. That's my concluding thoughts. I'll say uh, this is definitely one of my pillars, uh, hands down. And it's on Netflix right now. And we're all trapped inside, or at least you should be staying inside as much as possible. There's still a fucking pandemic on. Don't forget that. So, yeah, go watch it, enjoy it, and then watch it again, because it's really that good. Yeah, I mean, if, if nothing else, like, the third season is a better version of The Rise of Skywalker than The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> well, so far. <laughs> anyway, Brendan, do you have any uh, any concluding thoughts for us? Yeah, watch watch Avatar. Uh Try and try and not be dicks and, and learn from your mistakes. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. I love it. Don't don't be an asshole is a good general life thing. Well then, uh, at this point, we, we hand over to you, Brendan, that you can plug whatever you want to plug. Okay, yeah. Um so if if you ever want to like read stuff that I write, um I, I run a blog over at normannerd.blogspot.com. Uh it was it's usually where I just like write movie reviews because i like writing long things about movies but like it because movies stopped happening and because i have a three-year-old child i've been watching a shitload of cartoons and also because the world is on fire and i need self-care i'm watching a lot of cartoons uh, so so i've i've started like putting stuff up on there and as like i'm going to spend 1800 words talking about shira because why not or um you know, I'm, I'm probably writing about Avatar next, and um, you can also uh, occasionally find me contributing to a shorter, um, like, movie of the week uh, thing on Synapse, which is C-I-N-A-P-S-E dot C-O. That's just a movie site where there's a bunch of really cool people who write for there, but I, I contribute to the, the weekly Two Cents column from time to time where we watch a movie that's available on streaming, and then we say, hey, this was good because this, or... This was bad because this. <laughs> All right. I love it. Well, then uh, at this point, we move into our suggestions of the week section where we each share something that we are into recently, uh, you know, separately from the, hey, go watch Avatar we've been talking about for the last hour. So I want to get right into it. And my suggestion of the week is something that I've suggested at least twice before on this show and will do so again in the future which is a cartoon called Megas XLR. And the reason why I bring this up is because I was just having a conversation with someone the other day, and they were like, I don't really think that show holds up. And I was like, you're wrong. So I started oh. rewatching it. So, <laughs> and as far as I'm concerned, it still holds up a lot. This was a show on, uh, on Cartoon Network back in, this would have been, I don't know, 15 years ago. 2011? No, 2001 yeah. or 2002. 2004, I think, is when it first started. But anyway. Four? 
I think so. Anyway, point is though that it's it's really hard to find now because unfortunately its rights are in weird legal hell and it's only available on iTunes. But it's a show about a guy from Jersey piloting a robot from the future that he painted up like a hot rod and and the the the, the seat or the pilot seat is his car, his uh, his Plymouth Barracuda, 1970, I believe. It's it's a show that is just awesome if you like giant robots. I don't know how else to sell it. I will say that I've There's seen also a lots of great uh, sci-fi parody. Yeah, I, I've seen uh, a couple people online criticize it for like not making sense in some cases. Like, oh, how come he can destroy the city of Jersey every episode? And all I could think is, do you ask that same those same kind of questions about Looney Tunes shows? Because Megas is operating largely on like Looney Tunes logic, where it's like you're just along for the ride, and stuff is crazy and not supposed to make sense, and laugh because it's funny and watch awesome robot fights. So, I dig giant robots, and that's my suggestion of the week. You know, maybe someone should do a podcast about that, where they just kind of go back and watch it episode by episode. You know, I tried to look up, like, to see if there are any things online about it. There's not a lot of content about it. The show is way more obscure than I thought it was. So, um, yeah, I think your idea is a good one. Someone's going to have to do something with that. Keep an eye out for that, folks. All right. That sounds like a fun I'll project. <laughs> I'll roll into our next one, and this is a Netflix movie that I, I wouldn't have watched this were it not on Netflix, and that's The Lovebirds. I don't know if you guys remember seeing the trailers for this or not. Not at all. I, for a while, like back when I could go to movie theaters and there were still were movie theaters, this trailer Oh, wait, is that, went, is that Kumail Nanjiani? Yes. I do know. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, this is the trailer we all saw, and every time I'm like, oh, that looks so dumb. I'm not going to see that. And then it popped up on Netflix. It's like, you know what? I got nothing else to do. I'm going to watch. And it's really, really funny. And it's built largely on the chemistry between Kamal Nanjiani and uh, his co-star. I'm going to butcher the name because I'm bad at names. Issa Rae. In that they are this couple that is really kind of their relationships on the rocks. And then they just get flung into this ridiculous situation. And... It really, with anybody else, this would have just been a bland kind of dumb movie. But these two are so funny together and the chemistry is so great that even the jokes you saw in the trailer a thousand times are funny because the delivery and the chemistry is so good. I'll tell you, I was going to see it just because Camille Nanjiani, but I, I love pretty much everything. I watched Stuber because of him and Dave Batista, and I'm like, oh, that's an hour and a half I'm not getting back. So I've become a bit more selective. Ah, I didn't see Stuber, so I can't say. Yeah, no, it's on Netflix. You're trapped inside. It's really, really good. It is. It could be a little bit longer, surprisingly. Like, it really moves at a lightning pace. And it's like, I could have used, like, 10, 15 more minutes of this, these two being an actual couple. Because it really is written and played like, yeah, this is these are actual couple problems. These are things that you would have. All right, the lovebirds. All right. Brendan, do you have a suggestion for us? Yeah, um... Keeping the the theme of uh, things that are uh, silly and light, and also my my thing of like animation, I have been watching the the reboot of Ducktales, which hey. which is on Disney Plus, and I will I will go to the mat saying this is this is a legitimately fantastic cartoon, a wildly wildly different from what we've talked about during the the rest of the episode. Um, there, there is like running continuity and story, but it's buried much further underneath the just 
general silliness of Disney cartoon duck antics. However, I would, I, I would definitely suggest people watch this as an example for how to do quality narrative in a kid's cartoon that has no business being this good. Um, to, to like get, give an example, there is an episode that is a Christmas-themed episode where Scrooge is being a bit of a humbug about Christmas, and you're like, oh, okay, we're going to use this entire episode to find out why he's a humbug about Christmas. And then you spend a portion of the episode basically going on Christmas adventures with Scrooge and the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. And you're nice. like, oh, okay. And it's, and it's really cool. And it's like, oh, okay, this is neat. And I, this is the episode. And then halfway through, like, I shit you not. They're like, no, 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 we're doing more stuff. They bring in one of his great nephews, and that great nephew has a separate, basically back to the future storyline <laughs> with with young Donald and and a young version of his mom that doesn't dovetail with the stuff that Scrooge is doing until like the very end of the episode. You're like, you guys did not have to go that hard, but you did. And they they do that a lot. You know, there, there's a contingent of people out there. I don't know if they're listening to this that. Uh, would only watch this, or I shouldn't say only, that all I have to say is, hey, Scrooge McDuck is voiced by the 10th Doctor using a highlighted version of his natural accent. So if that's what it takes to get you in the seat, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's David Tennant awesome. as a duck. Yep. There's, he is there's, so there's a for that. good. He is so good. I love the fact that Huey, Dewey, and Louie have like actually distinct personalities, and Louie is hilarious. <laughs> oh God! Oh Louis! Oh Louis is the best, the evil twin. Yeah, tripping, I mean that's that's, twin. that's my favorite joke from the the original trailers is the uh, you know which one's the evil one, Louis? Eh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I, uh, I will admit I've only watched like the first two episodes. I just never got around to watching the rest of it. But I have heard great things. I heard it actually brings in Darkwing Duck at one point. It doesn't just bring in Darkwing Duck. There's an there's an entire episode that's an extended love letter slash continuous windmill dunk on on christmas nolan's dark night movies like <laughs> oh, it, nice. it is amazing oracle will love that oracle hates I'm batman so... <laughs> then you need to see the the duck knight returns oh god that sounds good so that's I i'm guessing that's puns. on uh, uh disney plus like it is straight. on disney plus seasons one and two um i haven't seen any of season three but seasons one and two are Especially like the, they they do the thing like they don't do the Avatar thing, but they definitely do the thing of like, wow, you're getting considerably better, and there's story, and wow, that's a two part season finale that's unexpectedly emotional, <laughs> for Ducktales. Woohoo! <laughs> the song will never Sorry. leave. So catchy. Well, anyway, so at this point, I'd like to again extend our our thanks, Brendan, for coming on and talking with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. This was a great time. All right. If uh, you know, if you want to come on again, just just let us know. We'll have some other credibly a wonderful nerdy conversation. <laughs> oh, I am I am down. That sounds good. All right, Ulrich, you want to want to outro us? Yes. Uh, first, we want to thank you all for listening, sharing, subscribing, doing that. We are seeing that you are sharing because we're popping up around the globe in some crazy places I thought people would never listen to us, let alone I didn't think they had English speakers there. But the analytics are showing we were there, so thank you guys. I remember Ulrich telling me that someone was like uh, hosting us in Russia, which I thought was really neat, but also really 
confusing. <laughs> but we just popped up in Colombia this week. I don't know. But uh, hey, we're on uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Spotify, and iHeartRadio as far as platforms for podcasts are concerned. One of them has to be the one that you're currently on. So, you know, thank you. And if there is one that would be easier for you, because we don't know all the platforms. There's like there's an infinite number of platforms essentially on the internet. So if there's one that you want us to be on because it would be easier for you, like all your other podcasts are there, tell us what it is and we'll look into it. We can't promise, but, you know, because some of them have weird restrictions and stuff, but we'll try. At the very least, we can look. So, as always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.